Would you like to support The Incomparable and get some cool extras? Go to theincomparable.com slash members or listen to my message at the end of this episode. Welcome back, everybody, to The Incomparable. I'm your host, Jason Snell, and here we go. Uh, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, back in the early days of The Incomparable, what we often did was talk about really broad, broad topics. And then over the years, we've realized we need to focus in a little bit because there's a lot of episodes. You can't you can't stay broad forever. you got to get detailed. But it's a little bit of a throwback in this one because we're going to be talking about the X-Men. And you ask yourself, what do you mean, Jason? Do you mean the X-Men movies? Uh, do you mean uh, particular runs of the X-Men? The graphic novel from the 80s or, or uh, the, the, you know, the classic Burn Claremont era or, or the original X-Men that Stan Lee did with, I don't even remember, was that Jack Kirby? Was that, uh, I don't know, it doesn't matter. Uh, the answer is yes. We're going to talk about the X-Men. That's what I said. The X-Men. That's it. That's it. This is an overview about the X-Men. Joining me to talk about all things mutanty are a fine panel of people. Monty Ashley's out there. Hello, Monty. Hello, Jason. I, uh, I'm scanning with Cerebro, and I detect a very powerful <laughs> mutant. It's Lisa Schmeiser. Hello. <laughs> I'm a very powerful mutant. Yes. That's my favorite line from, I think it's the, the first, first X-Men, X-Men movie, yes, yes, where I tried to yes. make that into a, a, a meme, but nobody else wanted to join, so it was not a <laughs> to meme. To be fair, it was like the year 2000. Memes weren't really quite across the internet I yet. I just tried to make that a thing, though, and nobody would join me in saying, oh, he's a very powerful mutant. But I, that's He'll join you in saying That's that. right. Well, you know who else is a powerful mutant? It's Merlin Mann. Hi, Merlin. Hi. In the, in the Munich Circus, I was known as Nightcrawler. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and uh our uh our comrade from no i'm not i why am i going into a colossus thing i don't know also joining us for her second time on the incomparable it's helene wicker hello yay hello so the x-men i just wanted to do so also i should say there's a new x-men movie out as we record this and it's not this episode's not about that either because um <laughs> in my in my continuing attempts to frustrate fans who want us to talk about uh, recent release motion pictures i instead go you know i swerve and instead of batman versus superman we talk about the batman animated series and instead of x-men apocalypse we talk about uh everything but x-men apocalypse basically so um what i i, I want to go around and ask everybody first just sort of what their personal history is with the x-men you know where how did you discover them and 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 uh and maybe uh you know what 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 resonated with you what was the thing that really struck you when you when you discovered about these uh these uh marvel comics superheroes and there are so many so i'm sure there'll be some some variety here lisa why don't we start with you what 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 did uh where, how did you discover the x-men and how did they resonate with you it was entirely serendipitous um it was 1983 my mom let my brother and I each pick something out from a drugstore comic book rack before a road trip. And I picked the um, Uncanny X-Men annual number five titled Ooh La La Badoon. Badoon, yes. And it's a crossover with the Fantastic Four. And the reason I picked it as a fifth grader was because I had seen the 1960s version of Fantastic Four before. And I had always kind of liked both Sue Storm and Doctor Doom for some reason. (laughs) But I was like, oh, I know I know the Fantastic Four. Let's see what else is going on. And uh, I read that issue. And what I didn't realize at the time was, well, actually, what I did realize was it was pretty quietly radical because, you know, as a, gr- as a little girl growing up with things like, say, both even Star Wars or the Justice League, 
I was used to the formula for any sort of ensemble being all of these dudes plus, quote-unquote, the girl. And in Uncanny X-Men Annual Number 5, the team was led by a woman. It was led by Storm. And there was somebody, you know, who was a, teen, a very young teenager, Kitty Pride, and that was a revelation as well. And Sue Storm is part of the team. And, and Sue Storm becomes part of the team. And the men mutants on the team are listening to the women and doing what they say. And it's Storm and Sue who come up with the plan to rescue the rest of the Fantastic Four from the Badoon, who are these, these evil lizard-like people. And, you know, Xavier gets a little side action with Lalandra, the Empress of the Empire. And it was such a radical thing to see this, this mix of people of all ages and ethnicities and genders working together. And I loved that comic book. I read it over and over and over and over again until it fell apart. And then I discovered the new mutants. And that was pretty much my full bore introduction to the X-Men in general. And um, that the, the new mutants are pretty much my flagship book. And uh, it's from there that I kind of sp- sprung into other books and other plot lines. But the new, the new mutants are always what I return to again and again. Uh, Merlin, what about you? What's your X-Men relationship? My best friend when I was a kid um, loved all things nerdy, stuff that like it's kind of normal to like now. He was a weirdo. And uh, he loved Lord of the Rings, um, I mean, all of the, the Tolkien books, and he especially loved X-Men. And so I knew about, he was just, he, I couldn't get him to stop talking about it. So I knew about all these characters. I read a little of it, uh, didn't get super in, into it. I was, this never really stuck with me, although I liked the pictures. I didn't really follow the stories. You know, flash forward many years, <clears throat> I, uh, on a whim, I was having some kind of midlife crisis. And for some reason, from Am- I went to Amazon. I picked up the, uh, the, a big omnibus of Uncanny X-Men, starting with Giant Size X-Men. And, uh, you know, <laughs> improbably, I started reading it and reading it with my little kid. And I don't know, it really, it, I, it instantly just it came alive. And I instantly loved so many of these characters. And, and sort of like Lisa said, I, I instantly got the, the kind of the sotto voce message that this is really this is about discrimination and people who don't fit in and gosh who doesn't feel like that especially middle-aged men having a midlife crisis and i got really into it and that kind of brought me back into comics uh for the first time since i was a kid and for the last what six years now seven years now um it's something that i've really come back to enjoying still loving the x-men not reading so much new stuff right now but sometimes you know my kid and i will just pick up you know a masterworks uh, you know, trade of Uncanny X Men, and we'll just we'll just read two or three issues, and it uh, still delights me. So, you, did you have no childhood experience with or exposure to the X Men, or or was it really just in recent years? Well, when I was a kid, my best friend was a was a super nerd. He was really into stuff like Tolkien books, and he was really into X Men and other Marvel books. I was really more into the thing. I liked the thing, mm-hmm. and I liked the Hulk, but I, I didn't have the cash layout for thirty-five cents to follow these kinds of things. But you know, it was funny though because as soon as I opened that up and started reading the first few pages, you see Kurt, you know, getting chased up a building as they're setting on fire, and it all just kind of clicked for me. And mm-hmm. uh, and so I mean, that was the beginning. But all along the way, like now, I, I love uh, Uncanny X Force. You know, I love um, just and like uh, Lisa said, the the new mutant stuff. There's just so much that I get out of this, and of all of the big story, all the big teams in Marvel over the years, Fantastic Four, and to an even greater extent, the X-Men are are two that I can stick with even through some of their silliest times, mostly, because there's just something special about that team that I I can't quite put my finger on, and it still delights me to this day. Pauline, what's your your experience with the X-Men? Well, um, what happened was sometime, I think it was 
between my uh, freshman and sophomore year of high school, I basically fell in with the wrong crowd. <laughs> By which you mean comic book nerds. By which I mean comic book nerds. Mm-hmm. Um, but, well, I shouldn't say that because I had already dipped a toe into the comic book universe because I had discovered Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Through the cartoon, I had gone back and discovered the original Eastman and Laird's. And so I had actually stepped foot in a comic book store. I had, you know, had that introduction to the world. Um, and so through that, I sort of knew the existence of these X-Men and, you know, the rest of the Marvel Universe. But so I, I'm sort of hopped between social groups uh, from one year to the next in uh, in high school and like met these like my new friend Tony and my new friend um uh Julie and oh hey we're all going over to Tony's uh this weekend and we're bringing out long boxes you want to come and I'm like okay sure so uh we go over there and it's just there it's just X-Men it's just like this room full of loose issues of every X-Men series and I just sat down and started reading and I was absolutely hooked and, that room sounds like paradise. Well, <laughs> you, you would think so, except that Tony lived above a funeral home. So so it literally it was, was paradise then. <laughs> he had very quiet neighbors. It's a fascinating place to, mm-hmm. to be. Um, but no, it really was. And we would do that like once a month or so. We would all just go over to someone's house and, and, and you know, make our parents put all of our long boxes in the car and, and, and you know, take them over. Um and that was that was it you know i just i started reading um as many of their back issues as i could so that i didn't have to lay out the cash myself but i would go and and buy a few that they didn't have it was like the 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 three or four of us were all trying to like build the complete collection together um and that was about when the second uh book started up i think it's my understanding is now it's called x-men volume two it was like in 1991 it just started x-men without the uncanny in front of it and they'd split into blue and gold teams and now oh there's another title you have to buy and and but i was the the book that sort of became my book was excalibur um because Ooh. it had because it had kitty pride and because it had kurt and that i mean e- even though i knew intellectually that it was rather silly and some of it was pretty bad um the two of them i would forgive a lot for the two of them the two they were sort of my touchstones through the whole thing um, and that lasted, I had a very intense X-Men period that ended rather suddenly, actually, um, at the end of high school. And from then on, it's been sort of like, I'll go back and check in on them every once in a while. It's sort of like getting your college alumni newsletter and and, and say, oh, wait, she had a kid? When did that happen? And, you know... <laughs> Oh, wait, now he's on the other team, and oh, he's dead. Oh, no, he's back again. Okay. Uh, so that's been, and the movies, and, you know, nostalgia and, and all of that. So that's been sort of my relationship since then. Monty, what about you? Uh, well, when I was a tiny child, I read some comic books. I remember being partial to The Flash and Richie Rich. I don't know how I picked those two. <laughs> It so often happens. Yes. I like the combination. <laughs> I don't, th- those were the ones I gravitated to. Mm-hmm. I assume I wanted to run fast and 
be rich and have very <laughs> poor friends. Then I drifted away from comics, but stayed a huge nerd. And then in the mid-1980s, I fell in with the right crowd, by mm -hmm. which I mean comic book readers and role-playing geeks. <laughs> and the first really long role-playing campaign I got into was this game of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Other Strangeness, yes. a Palladium RPG that is terribly balanced. <laughs> and I actually knew about it as a RPG first, and then I found out about the comics. And checking what issues I had, I this looks like it was about mid-1985. So, and again, so both of you um, encountered the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which are, of course, satirizing, among other things, the X-Men. The X-Men is the mutant part, and the yeah. teenage part, mm -hmm. I guess, to a certain extent. And the ninjas is more of a daredevil kind of reaction. But that's, so you so you discovered mm -hmm. Mutant Ninja Turtles before you discovered yeah. Marvel mutants. Interesting. Yeah. I was going to comic book stores a bunch at that point, and then somewhere in mid-1985, I found the X-Men and absolutely fell in love with it. I am unable to tell what my first issue was because I immediately started buying issues back from where I was to find out who these characters were mm. because in those days we did not have Wikipedia or cheap reprints. <laughs> but I feel like it was probably around issue 190 because I know for a fact that the X-Men team in my head is... The correct X-Men team, which is Storm as leader, possibly without powers, and then Wolverine, Nightcrawler, Rogue, Colossus, Kitty Pride, that sort of thing. Classic. And I bought almost every spin-off book as they came along. I was very into New Mutants. I tried to get into X-Factor, but those old characters are boring and not my X-Men, so who cares? Mm-hmm. Uh, I did not get very into Power Pack, although I did have to buy at least two issues because of Secret Wars crossovers. <laughs> Ugh. <laughs> yeah. And Secret Wars 2 crossovers, even better. Mm. But, but basically, the mid-80s X-Men is my entry into mainstream comic books. The So for me, um, very very close to Monty in era, I would say. I discovered, I, I, I really got into comics in the... In the in the early to mid eighties, I would say. And, um, X-Men was, so at that time, X-Men had become the most popular Marvel comic, but there was a real disparity between comic book people and the sort of the general public awareness of superheroes, right? The general public knew about Superman and Batman. And from the Marvel side, they've, they, they'd heard of Spider-Man and maybe like Captain America, but that was about it. And meanwhile, the top selling comic, not just Marvel comic, but all of all comics was Uncanny X-Men. And so as a, as a, as a kid discovering comics, it was this sort of surprise that this thing that I'd never really even heard of was so popular. And I remember the older, wiser comic book uh, people being like uh, super into the X-Men and me being sort of skeptical of that because I was into my, you know, Spider-Man and, and, and my, uh, my uh, sci-fi toy tie-in books like Micronauts and ROM and things like that. So, but I'd say for me, it was the Paul Smith era, which was actually not very long. Um, it was in the, in like, I don't know, 84, 
three, maybe it was, it was, uh, uh, between 165 and 175 of uncanny X-Men really is the thing that got me into the X-Men. That's where I discovered again, very similar to Monty, you know, storms, the leader. Um, I think that's in the run. There is where Cyclops leaves to go off to Alaska for, to, to meet his girlfriend, who's a clone of Jean Grey. Um, and they get kidnapped. Maybe get a personality. Yeah. (laughs) Kidnapped by the brood, taken into space, all sorts of stuff like that. Um, and then, and, and, uh, and then when Paul Smith left, uh, they replaced him with John Romita Jr., who was a favorite uh, Spider-Man artist of, of mine, and I didn't actually like his X-Men. But it didn't matter at that point because I was on the New Mutants train, as uh, as Lisa mentioned, and 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 I got to experience, like, I inherited the X-Men, even though this was a, a, a turned-over-a-couple-of-times lineup of the X-Men, as I later found out when I went back and read the Burn Claremont run, uh, which I did not too long after that. Uh, I inherited the X-Men, uh, but... But the New Mutants belong to me, and so I always I always liked the New Mutants from from the graphic novel and issue number one, in fact, um, because they were they were they were new and and everybody was meeting them uh, for the first time, and also because it was an attempt by um, Chris Claremont and Marvel to reset uh, back to the classic thing about the X Men that I think um, I really do love, which is that they're they're students who are learning who they are. And what their powers are, and they have to wear the dumb outfits and train in the danger room uh, because they're not quite superheroes yet. And they take ballet. Yeah, they're superheroes, you know, in training. And Kitty Pride doesn't want to be one of them, which sets up some amusing uh, back and forth. And and uh, and so that was that was how I got into to the X Men time to take a break to tell you about one of our sponsors this episode of the incomparable is brought to you by casper casper is a sleep brand that created one perfect mattress it's sold directly to consumers which means the commission driven inflated prices are out the window casper's award-winning sleep surface was developed in-house it has a sleek design and it's delivered in a small box it will make you say how the heck did they put that in there but you open it up and expands to fill the space and you end up with an incredibly comfortable mattress but that's not all casper also now offers a wonderful adaptive pillow and soft breathable cotton sheets now Let's talk quality. Casper got an in-house team of engineers. They spent thousands of hours developing the Casper mattress. It's got springy latex and supportive memory foams. They're combined together to create a surface that's got just the right sink, just the right bounce. I've been sleeping on one for a couple of years now. And when uh, my wife and I recently went on a trip to visit some family, we were in the uh, spare bedroom and uh, she turned to me and said, I miss the Casper mattress. (laughs) So we've really gotten used to it. And uh, summer is here and the breathable design of a Casper mattress can sleep cool to help you regulate your temperature through the night. Now, mattresses can often cost over $1,500, but Casper mattresses have great prices. They start at $500 for a twin. They've got twin XL, full queen, all the way up to $950 for a king. They've even got a California king for those of us who are in California. Buying a Casper mattress is completely risk-free. They offer free delivery and free returns and a 100-night home trial, so you can sleep on it, not just for a night or a week, but for a 100 nights. And if you don't love it, they will pick it up and refund you everything because they know how important it is. If you're going to get a good night's sleep, you're going to spend a third of your life on your mattress. You better get a good one. So, obsessively engineered, shockingly fair prices, 
two different kinds of foams to make a, a, a sleep experience you will miss when you are away from home. Free shipping and returns, 100 nights of risk-free sleep in your home, and it's all made in the USA. So why would you not try out a Casper mattress? You can get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash Snell and using code Snell at checkout. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to Casper for sponsoring The Incomparable. So I mean, mentioning the the New Mutants being being uh, uh, learning about their powers and all of that. I one of the, the topics I wanted to bring up here is about sort of the what the X Men represent. It came up already. They're outsiders. They represent people who are different. They're mutants. They're they're born different and they're shunned by society. Um, so there are lots of metaphors, uh, you know, lots of meanings you can place on top of that uh, that that core metaphor, um, and and it can sort of mean what you want it to mean to a certain level. But I always really liked that, and I also like the the kind of purity of the of the school concept as well. That these are these are people who are trying to figure out who they are while they're being shunned by 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 the world. So so is am, am I right? Is that sort of the core of the appeal of the of the X Men? Do you think? I would hazard that one of the appeals of the X Men, at least as somebody who has been reading it for Christ thirty years, <laughs> is um, there are so many different characters. It's not a book for just a really specific time in your life, but there are so many different characters with so many different circumstances. You you will find somebody to relate to at almost every point, um, and they the strongest writers um, on the series have always done a good job of uh, blending and balancing different types of personalities because you'll always have some hyper conscientious types and some wildly insecure types and some incredibly irreverent types and some straightforward heroic types. And when you watch this this blend of people of again of all ages and all abilities sparking off of each other, it's really easy to step into the book and begin identifying. And I think that's another part of the appeal as well. Is in addition to the whole you know we're all mutants under the skin message. There's also we all have to deal with people all of the time that we are thrown together with through circumstance, and then we have people that we want to be with by choice and and. The relationships are, are such a heart of the book. I think that's part of the appeal as well. Is you, is you get very invested in your specific X Men, like Kitty Pride, and you want to see. You know, you're like, oh my god! Like I can remember reading the New Mutants and being like, oh my god, Kitty, why are you being such a jerk? And at the same time, being like, on the other hand, if I had been demoted from running around with my crush Colossus and like the people I thought were my peers and being forced to hang out with the, with the X Babies, I would be a I would be a real little pill too. So that, you know. It was it was a great mirror for seeing your own experiences reflected back at you as a teen. And then as an adult, you can kind of see, um, you know, how people negotiate all sorts of different like workplace and interpersonal conflicts. And I find it incredibly rewarding that way. Yeah, I hadn't thought about how the, the, the school concept, as you put it, really helped the series in that it, it provided structure and it sort of forced people to have to deal with each other instead of, you know, say everyone waking up in their own separate apartments and, and you know, having little thought bubbles about what they're doing. They're all having to deal with each other in each other's faces and it creates tension and it creates um, a lot of opportunity for the writers to just pair people up and see how they bounce off each other. Um, and in that way, it became almost like, I don't know, I'm, I'm thinking of The Sopranos and in, in, in how you've got the um, 
the private lives and and like the work lives and how the two of them just mesh completely um, that you have what's going on at the school and you got what's going on out in the outer world that they have to react to and go fly in the jet and deal with and at the same time they're trying to manage all of these crazy relationships that they're all developing um, and yeah I do think that was quite a bit of the success. It's also something that I, I feel like uh, come probably mostly comes out of DC characters, where I think for a long time in the public imagination, you know, even until fairly recently, our concept of cape superheroes was that they were these people who were unironically gifted. Like, sure, Batman had problems as a kid, but like he had this noble thing that he wanted to do, and he bulked himself up. And I think the thing, part of what made there's so many things that made the early '60s Marvel comics, you know, great, interesting, and enduring. You know, in the case of almost all of them, especially Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, X-Men, they are really all comics of their time. They're based on the fears and the concerns of the time, fear of radiation, concern about, uh, you know, uh, segregation and things like that in the case of, of X-Men. But so, so whether or not, regardless of whatever your own feeling of being part of or away from society, one thing almost every teenager has in common is they don't like how they are. They don't like how yeah. they got that way, and they don't see much hope or prospect of anything being good as a result. So when Kitty Pride is getting headaches and phasing through the floor, <laughs> I'll bet there's a lot of little girls who had their Aunt Flo arrive and thought a lot of the same <laughs> stuff. Like, yeah. I did not ask for this. This is not what I wanted. Like, there's no one like me. I'm the biggest weirdo in the world, and nothing good will ever happen to me. So now you've got something, again, like you say, like with, with the... Um, with the, with the uh, school, you're surrounded by people like that. Yeah, you have to get along with them, but you're also going to, you're going to have an opportunity to say, you know what, I am a weirdo, but I'm going to find some way to make something good out of this. And you think about, you know, again, think about, uh, think about Peter Parker, you know, think about Ben Grimm, think about all those folks who were like, you know, Ben Grimm used to be a real handsome guy. He didn't like looking like that, but he figured out a way to make that into something better and bigger than himself. And that's to me what makes the promise of the X-Men so interesting and continues to be a big tent for anybody who feels like a weirdo. Well, they also put in an extra level of weirdoness because the residents of the Marvel Universe are very picky and they can tell the difference between somebody who has their powers because of cosmic rays, which is fine, and people who <laughs> were born that way and they're evil and have to be shunned. Mm -hmm. It's a great way to explore the nuances of bigotry. Because, you know, oh, oh, a spider bit you? Well, carry on swinging across yeah, uh, it was an New accident. York, my good, my good lad. Yeah. As opposed to, oh, you have the X gene to the dungeon, you know? <laughs> One thing Marvel likes to do is have unhappy superheroes, people who are mopey because they have superpowers. Yeah. Which a lot of the time doesn't work because except for Ben Grimm, the rest of the Fantastic Four are fine and can get on with their lives. I'll be Mr. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> good to be me, says Johnny Storm. Uh -huh. Yeah. But the X-Men and all the whole mutants, even if they look normal, they know they are hunted and despised for what they are. And a lot of, like say, a lot of teenagers also feel like they are hunted and despised just for being mm -hmm. themselves, man. That's right. And you've got the two different <laughs> kinds. You've got the you've got the mutants who are visibly a mutant, like Nightcrawler being a good example, or or, or the beast back in the day, uh, who <laughs> they don't they don't they mm -hmm. physically don't fit in. And then you've got the other kind of outcast who are the ones who who know they're different inside 
and uh, and and if they don't say anything or they don't you know if they behave right they might be able to pass for some amount of time but they know that it's it's not true and and that they could be found out and that they're not being true to true to themselves and I, I, yeah. I like I like both of those approaches and by by having the team you've got people who've got these they're in different stages of life and they've got different ways that they interact with with society and it makes it really interesting that's a good point because you talk about the ways they interact with society and I was going to say what also appeals to me about the X-Men, especially as they become adults, is the writers tend to come back repeatedly to each character ask themselves, who do I want to be? And what am I going to do in the world with who I with with the, the, the talents and traits that I have? Am I going to be somebody who's like a straight up hero or am I going to be somebody who runs a detective agency or am I going to be somebody who's a school administrator? <laughs> um, well, th- th- and then there are some mutants who are all, you know, oh, forget you. I'm, I'm going to become a high class prostitute because that is the thing that, Oh, Stacy <laughs> X. Good God. <laughs> I'm going to become a rock star or disco star or whatever. Hey, okay, she shoots lasers with sound. Okay. You know, I think about the, the villains that you end up really enjoying or what, you know, villain, you know, what do, what do we mean by villain? You know, the bad guys, mm-hmm. the baddies, but I mean, um, you know, what is it that makes the Joker so great with Batman? The Joker, like I don't, I'm not super deep cataloging Batman, but one of the reasons I love the Joker is that he realizes something and he wants Batman to realize that thing. And that thing is we need each other. Like we cannot rise to the appropriate level of what we are capable of without pushing each other. So that makes a great adversarial relationship. Whereas, again, look over here at somebody like Magneto. Magneto's got his reasons for being how he is. And at various times in the history of the X-Men, there are people misguided or otherwise who feel dog certain that whatever it is they believe is best for everybody. So whether that's, uh, what's his name in God Loves Man Kills? Uh, or whether oh, that's Striker. Striker, yeah. 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 Oh, Striker, that guy. Or who, whomever. Like you, you, they, the thing is, this is what makes for great, well, potentially great literature is to have somebody who gets cast as the antagonist. But they, you know, nobody thinks they're the troll because everybody's got their reasons. And that's why Magneto continues to be interesting because, you know, you don't know what side he's going to be on, but he's definitely not on the same page as everybody else. But I don't know. I think that continues to make him such an interesting character. Yeah, he he was on the X-Men for a long time, and it was completely justified, and he didn't have to change any of his basic motivations to do it, which is not something you can do with a lot of villains. Yeah. Or at least you can't believe, I mean, you know, you could have the, oh, Lex Luthor, he, uh, he's working with Superman now, but it's like, yeah, okay. But with Magneto, it was about his approach and and i mean he's sometimes drawn as much more villainy but but i i agree so much of this is about or emma frost yeah well i, I was gonna yeah. i was gonna bring her up because i actually one of the things I, I you know there there are the classic things about the x-men that i kind of am sad that they don't have anymore because they have progressed but I, I it's hard for me to complain about a comic book trying to progress characters because usually they don't and and so emma frost is a good example who she starts out i mean she's got some she is allergic to clothing we've established this she really doesn't want to wear any so <laughs> She wears it as little as possible, but she was, you know, she's she's the the white queen in the Hellfire Club, and she's a she's a baddie, and turns around and becomes a really interesting character as Scott Summers' girlfriend and a teacher who's basically mm-hmm. running the school, and um, you know, she's she and she's got an edge to her because she isn't like a goody goody because she was a villain and uh, ends up being a you know the, the the there's a all these characters who are mutants they're all on in one level they're on the same side right and it's just a matter of what they choose to do politically about being on that side they're the ones they're all apart the good guys and the bad guys are all apart from the rest of the world because they're in general in the x-men all mutants that's really interesting i brought up emma frost just because you talk about 
you know, she was rolled out as she's the white queen. She hangs with Sebastian's, you know, Sebastian's Shaw, Shaw who is yeah. terrifying. And, but what was striking even back in the eighties was her laser focus was, I'm going to raise these children so they don't have to go through what I go through. Mm-hmm. And if, if her means were, you know, seen as evil or manipulative, she she could not care less what you thought because she had a goal and she was very focused on. I feel like she shares that with Magneto where they have this one principle that drives everything they do. And it's a good principle. It's just that they are very much of the, well, you cannot make an omelet without (laughs) killing a few (laughs) X-Men. Yeah. But, um, one of my the, the moment I will always love Emma Frost for actually happens during Marvel Civil War event when Tony Stark comes and he's like, yeah, we really want the mutants to help out the side of the, the side of Tony Stark, the side of right. And she's like, oh, like the way the Avengers helped out during our big crisis last year. Dot, dot, dot. Oh, are we in the Marvel Universe now? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> yeah. And, and just the way she throws his crap in the street and she's all. No, you know what? Mutants mutants look out for mutants. I don't care what the rest of you do. Every mutant has their orders to stay out of this. And when she when she puts it like that, you know that everyone's staying out of it. Like, you know, there's not going to be Wolverine popping into this book to goose sales because he, he, you know, even he knows better. <laughs> <laughs> and I loved that she she explicitly draws the length of solidarity and says, no, these are the people I'm for. You are not one of them. And by the way, you weren't, you weren't for us when we needed you. So uh, have a Coke and a smile and good luck killing Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> Going the other way, Rogue was a villain who turned to, into a hero at a complete turning on a dime, and it didn't. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, don't buy it. I mean, there was there was some tragedy in her, but it did happen awful fast. That was right at core in, yeah. in the core of my X Men yeah. reading, and and she was meant to be a tragic character. Uh, her tragedy was that she almost killed Ms. Marvel, but still it <laughs> yeah. kind of messed her up in the head, man, because she kind of absorbed the heroism of Ms. Marvel in a way, and it sort of made her rethink things. And the, having rehabbing a villain and, and turning them into an X-Man was an interesting story for Rogue, but it, it was, I don't know, yeah, I, I, I am with you, Monty. It sort of happened awfully, awfully fast. I also find it chilling that we gave this woman a personality transplant, and now she's wonderful, is, is seen as a completely valid way yeah. to characterize somebody. <laughs> yeah, by the the time I was reading, she's just the invulnerable flying one with a southern with accent. A southern accent. And that magnificent mullet. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> with the big white skunk stripe. <laughs> John Romita likes to take his time with drawing hair. Yeah. Listen, sugar. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I liked Rogan. I, I it's one of the things that I sort of hesitate to go back and read the the era that I started reading, the nineteen nineties, because Looking back at it now, I realize how thin the character was. And but I thought that you know her plight was so tragic, and you know she couldn't touch anyone. And and oh, you know it, I <laughs> Gambit gets a lot of flack that is very well deserved, and <laughs> he basically exists to be the man she cannot touch. And but at the same time, it was sort of that. There was the TV show Beauty and the Beast that was on at about the same time where it was where they set up the tension so well that anything that was, you know, two pinkies touching constituted, you know, full on, you know, going at it. And that was what they'd set up for the two of them. And so as as a 15 year old girl, I was completely enraptured by anything that the two of them were in. And now I'm like God. I don't even want to look at it because I'm I'm just going to be embarrassed. But they managed to 
touch something really primal with her, which is, it is a very, very freaky thought. What if you couldn't touch anyone for the rest of your life? And just that ability of hers that was also such a huge impediment, she sort of personified, I think, a lot of the the, the double-edged sword of being a mutant. You have this amazing power and you may just chuck it all, you know, if you could, in order to just have basic human contact. Time to take a break and tell you about a sponsor. It's Harry's. You know, I've been using Harry's uh, shaving equipment for quite a while now, and I really like it to the point where I got my first set sent to me from from Harry's. They're like, you're going to talk about this on a podcast. You should try it out. And since then, you know what? I just keep buying the stuff because it's really good, and I'm happy to spend my own money on Harry's shaving equipment. The blades are super sharp. The shave is close and comfortable. The handle is very nice and uh, grippable. And the uh, the shaving lotion smells great. The minty shaving lotion. It's uh, changed how I shave uh, and all for the better. So I think you should give it a try too. Now, Father's Day is coming up. The limited edition Father's Day shave set is here. It includes a matte black razor handle, a chrome razor stand, which is pretty cool. I just checked this out. Uh, you can uh, It allows you to stand the razor upright. It has a little place that it lives. It's pretty cool. And it's got the moisturizing foaming shave gel, three handcrafted blade cartridges, and a travel cover, all for $40 and comes in a sleek, giftable box with the option to add custom engraving and a personalized card. It's a beautiful set. But there are also more affordable shaving sets if you would prefer, uh, starting at $15. So you could definitely get one for somebody in your life or for yourself. Harry's Razors has five German-crafted blades, a flex hinge, a lubricating strip. Quality is guaranteed. If you're not happy, they will give you your money back. And they cost $2 a blade or even less. It's half the price of the leading brand, and it's easy to order. You go online. You don't have to go to the drugstore and deal with people and have them unlock cases or anything like that. And if you're sending it to somebody you love as a gift, that's easy. You just put in their address, and it goes to them. So go to harrys.com right now and redeem a special offer for fans of this show. Harry's will give you $5 off your first purchase with promo code SNELL. S-N-E-L-L. Don't wait. Economy shipping for Father's Day ends on Thursday, June 9th. So act now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S dot com. Enter code SNELL at checkout and you'll get $5 off. Get Dad something he'll actually use on Father's Day or get something for yourself. If you are a person who shaves, you should try Harry's. Um, I wanted to talk about... Uh the uh, characters here because we've mentioned a few of them and there are so there are so many um i I, i'm surprised we haven't talked about charles xavier at all but uh they they he he kind of comes and goes they they put him in space (laughs) or they kill him off and then he comes back and then he dies again and they take his brain and they put him in somebody else and it's a thing that happens he doesn't walk he walks he doesn't yeah i know they clone a body and they break the body Mm -hmm. and it's a thing that he he comes and he goes but there's so many characters and 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 it's so rich this is not a draft but i do want to go around and ask everybody (laughs) if they have if they have uh, a favorite one or two x-men because i think that I, we're never going to be able to capture them all, but maybe we can touch quickly on uh, on a few of the characters that have really uh, made an impact with us. Merlin, what about you? We have a you have favorite uh, favorite X Men. That's like asking me to pick my favorite Beatles song. It's, yeah. it's really hard and it changes from time to time. But uh, an enduring favorite for me is Kitty Pride. Um, I think that's probably one of everybody's favorites because she feels like us, and she's the way that 
you know, if you can get with the Marvel style, and you know, I totally understand if you can't get with the Marvel style, but when she's introduced, I, I will frequently return to that crazy run, that awesome run. Um, so much great stuff around that time um, when they introduce uh, Dazzler and they introduce Kitty Pride. There's so much great stuff. But the, the way that she's written, she really feels like a Jewish kid from Chicago who takes ballet lessons. It really, I, I buy it. I'm in. Like, I'm sold. I wanted to mention something about Kitty because I think Kitty Kitty is, uh, so many people talk about, uh, about Kitty. Um, and I remember, I told you, like the hardcore comics fans who all loved, uh, X-Men and they all loved Wolverine. These are all a bunch of 12 year old boys who are like, Wolverine, he's so cool. He can cut things with his claws. He's awesome. He's got a cigar. He's great. Right. <laughs> and then there's me who, you know, quite frankly, would not talk about it to those, to those guys. Cause I didn't want to let on, but it's like, I, I actually really like Kitty Pride. She's the one, she's the one, cause she, I, I don't have anything connected to wolverine at all it's like he's just this grumbly canadian guy right with with claws (laughs) but kitty is an awkward teenager who is trying to interact in a world with all of these adults who have their who seem to have their stuff together in uh, in a way that she absolutely does not she's like the bass player from metallica like no matter how long she's in that band (laughs) she's always going to be the new one yeah (laughs) but that's what makes her and wolverine such a great team that's true yeah Wolverine, I always find it interesting how well Wolverine pairs up with little girls. Yes. Oh, he's great at that. He's so... <laughs> There's that cover where he's about to kill a power pack kid. <laughs> well, and they did, recently they did the Wolverine and the X-Men series, which which plays off of Wolverine as actually not, you know, he doesn't want to let on because he's got that rough exterior yeah. to live down. But he uh, he is he actually is good with kids. The thing that I think a, a lot of like manly man boy boys miss that to me has become my, I mean, I, I happen to really like Wolverine. I think he's gotten a li- lot of baggage over the years because people have, God love them, have idiotically added so much unnecessary origin stuff to this character. <laughs> was, this Canadian was, ninja? <laughs> that was most, that, yeah, well, that was most interesting when we didn't understand well, how the claws yeah. work. We don't yeah. know. Like, we mm-hmm. don't need, like, you know. But the thing, yeah. and you know, it's funny, this didn't really, really hit me until the first X-Men movie, which I think is a really good movie. But when, uh, when, when Rogue has seen him wielding his claws and they're sitting there in the pickup and they do a great shot where they zoom in on his hands and he's gripping the wheel Does and, it hurt? and she and, uh, and Rogue says to him, does it hurt? And he says, every, every time, every time. Yeah. So here's, here's what you gotta know about Wolverine. <laughs> this is the thing you can drop him from space and he will. So, so part three, he will heal. But part two, it's going to hurt so much when he hits the ground. Yeah. Every time he does anything that we think of as like, it's not like it's not like Superman, like lifting something with his eye, ray, eye lasers or something like everything he does hurts just as much as it would hurt you and me. He weighs three. He's five, two. He weighs 300 pounds. <laughs> Yeah, he's in constant pain because his, his body is permanently trying to heal something that can't be. Imagine being a human scab that smokes. That's what he all his entire life is healing something unhealable. And that now maybe that's the forty nine year old man in me because I heard that and I went, oh brother, <laughs> my 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 Canadian brother, I I feel you. There was I remember this issue where Jean Grey had to go find him. It, it was like the aftermath of some battle or other, and he decided to deal with the emotional fallout by going and picking fights in bars. And she found him with Cerebro, and she got him, and, and he had been uh, basically daring this guy to hit him with brass knuckles, and the, and the guy, you know, obliged, and... Wolverine then, you know, had to pop his eye back into place and pop his shoulder back into place and whatever. And then he said, my turn. And the guy ran. And Jean Grey's like, why are you doing this? And he says, 
the answer basically boiled down to I don't scar. I don't get to scar the way you guys do and you can look at your body and say this is from this fight and this is from the other fight and this is from when, you know, I tripped on something when I was a kid. So this is how I deal with it. And I remember being very blown away by that um, because I, yeah, it's it's that feeling of you can do anything to him and he comes back and what what's what does that reek in, in, in the head? Uh, that just it makes the guy interesting. Now, I think he's a. I think Wolverine as a character is a victim of his own popularity. That he ended up being, you know, not only I think liked by some people for some of the wrong reasons and that lost some of the subtlety of the character, but also he just got so popular that he was overexposed and they had him in a bunch of different books. He got that Spider-Man itis where he was suddenly on every team for no particularly good reason. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know that's the joke. Is Wolverine's the Wolverine's the loner who's on every team in the Marvel universe? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But, uh, you know, it's just when you think about it, he's ultimately so tragic because here is somebody who is a grown ass man living in a mansion with a bunch of teenagers. He can't get married and have children because that's just there. There are no circumstances where that's going to work for him. And what I've found interesting about the way he's been characterized over the years is I loved him in the 80s when I was a little girl and then a teenager because he was he was always the wisecracking cynic on the team. Um. And I, I like that it undercut the the tone of high minded idea, the tone of high minded heroism that Scott Summers strove to bring to the proceedings. And but it seems like um, a lot of the writers use him to work out meditations on what it means to be masculine in almost any decade, and that has kind of gradually shifted over the years. And when you see him in other books, sometimes it's fascinating. Like, I love his appearance in Ms. Marvel when Kamala Khan's like, I've written fanfic about you. And they work <laughs> together and he has to accept help from her. And um, they take a selfie and he treats her like a peer, but he still runs interference to make sure that she's not on the Avengers while, she, while she's still a child. And you contrast that to somebody who in the 80s had no problem throwing teenagers into battle when it was expedient. And I think it's really interesting how the character has subtly grown and changed and how that might be pointing to cultural currents about the the way we regard what it means to be manly or to be a man in this oh. culture too. Cause, cause Wolverine is kind of, Wolverine is kind of Marvel's masculine fantasy. The only people, the, the people, the, the greatest American filmmakers working today dealing with in every movie in some way, dealing with what happens, what does it mean to be a man in America? And what would you do if you had unlimited power and money? Coen brothers. Coen Brothers should do a Wolverine movie. They would probably cast George Clooney as Wolverine. I would watch that. (laughs) So to answer your question, I'm not going to say Nightcrawler. I'm not going to say, I'm going to stick, I'm going to save, and no, this is not a draft, although it's technically a draft. I will choose Kitty Pride. Okay. It's not, not a dra- draft, not a Kenny draft. Kenny Pride still would be on a board because there's no board because it's <laughs> no. not a draft, but thank yeah. you. She, and she would also phase through the board. Thank you. And she would. <laughs> she would, but she's not She's not going down with those ex-babies. Helene, do you have a fa- favorite uh, X-Men character or two? Well, it's a good thing you picked me next because I know he's going soon. It has to be Nightcrawler. Yeah. All right. It's not a draft. He's not going anywhere, but all right. He's like the Maya Rudolph of the X-Men. He's so talented and so underrated. It's a draft, Jason. Make it a draft. He, unless he teleports there with a, pu- with a puff of brimstone and a bamf. Ooh. Yes. Bamf. Now, okay, so as a fellow Jewish girl from suburban Chicago, Kitty Bride was my identity character. But as far as who I thought the most interesting and compelling person in the X-Men was, it absolutely had to be Nightcrawler. Um, And to me, he sort of was the personification of 
what the X-Men were about in that you have this guy who has every reason to be a mopey loner hating the world and instead he is this delightful sweetheart of a guy who loves to watch old films and fences and is religious in a way that very few comic book characters that I was sort of exposed to then, or I don't know about now, but goodness, like a devout Catholic, like, is that done, you know, in, in comic mm. books and, and actually treated with, with, you know, some degree, sometimes some degree of, <laughs> of tastefulness. We won't talk about when ugh. they're not fighting Mephisto. Oh God. But, and at the same time, like, you know, people called him a devil. People called him, you know, like the agent of Satan and people, you know, literal uh, townsfolk with pitchforks and torches came after this guy. And he managed not to let it like curdle his soul um, and is a very fun person and, you know, a very sensitive and thoughtful person and just always strove to be his best and I feel the way about him the way I think a lot of people feel about Spider-Man um, which is like I hope that I would be that person in that situation um, and it doesn't hurt that he's cute I'll end it with that I Fuzzy Elf I, he's Fuzzy good, Elf. such a great such a great character also I, that's the first German I, I ever learned where, and the first Russian quite <laughs> frankly too where the things that are because as, as I think Monty has pointed out before the way Chris Claremont wrote all the dialogue is <laughs> these people speak English except occasionally they will drop in yes. one or two words of their native language just for flavor really <laughs> occasionally meaning once every other page I never learned what the white wolf is does anyone even know what, what is there a particular white wolf that Colossus is always talking about or is it just any random random white wolf that happens to show up forget it i'm it's guessing Russia. a writer was listening to peter and the wolf at some point and just decided that <laughs> surely that was this... him <laughs> i could tell you where i learned most of my french mon cher <laughs> uh, if not you it can but uh monty I'll be here under the waterfall <laughs> with my stick monty do you have do you have a uh, a favorite x-man or two that you would like to mention I have a bizarre fondness for Proto Gambit Longshot. Oh, Longshot! Oh, Longshot. <laughs> Were we just talking about mullets? Oh God! Yeah. And I can report that, according to Wikipedia, uh, when they designed <laughs> Longshot's costume, they decided, why? Why does somebody always have something to throw? We better put some pouches on his outfit, and that's where all the pouches in the '90s came from. I just, I just learned the official name a few weeks ago. It was only a few weeks ago because I was making somebody some kind of lame reference, and I want to get the lame reference correct. I learned the official title for Longshot's um, power, and I just, as I sit here today, I really wish I had probability manipulation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, Look how man, handy I could, that I could would really, be. I could really use that. Which is weird because that was kind of Scarlet Witch's. Uh, uh, Scarlet that was Witch's initially her. That was her first yeah. power. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then she yeah. has universe shattering magic powers instead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, can I say one that's not an X-Man but was a new mutant? Yeah, yeah. Oh, mutant, mutant mm-hmm. sure. All mutants are available. Are X-Men. Oh, my yes. God. Sorry. Well, you said new mutants were okay. This is not actually a mutant, but I really like Warlock. 
I was going to mention oh, Warlock, yes. Monty. Warlock. I actually cool. was going to mention Warlock. He's he's not even really a mutant. He's a he's an <laughs> alien, alien right? techno alien who comes and meets the new mutants. Is that Doug? No, Doug is Cipher who oh, could talk Cypher. to War- okay. who could talk to Warlock because Doug Doug could- and Warlock merge later and become Douglock. Yes. Oh, what? that's where I'm getting. Okay, okay. There's a great I think New Mutants annual <laughs> where Warlock and Impossible Man have a contest to see who can beat the other in becoming ridiculous things. <laughs> <laughs> and it ends up with Impossible Man can't change colors, but Warlock can, so there. Fantastic. No, Warlock Warlock's great. Yeah, I love him. Not actually a mutant. So I'm going to say Storm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mostly because she was able to lead the team, even when she didn't have powers, in probably my favorite sequence where she had a contest with Cyclops in the danger room, and she won, even though he had powers and she didn't. I think Storm has a great look once she gets the really tall mohawk. Yeah. I like both her oh, looks. Yeah. I like I like her, her yeah. punk rock uh, mohawk uh, phase, and I also like her, like, big white hair and the long flowy cloak kind of, uh, kind of, I think they're both really cool, and she was a good leader. I also think it, it, sh- it she proved that you can uh, be the leader of the X-Men and not be totally boring like Cyclops. So, yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Also, She's my favorite leader of the X-Men. She has a great background, too, in that instead of, you know, having rocks thrown at her in an alley, she was a goddess. Yeah. <laughs> but she left that to come fight evildoers anyway. Good for her. Mm-hmm. Lisa, do you, have a, uh, do you have a favorite X-Men or X-Men? I feel like Kitty Pride is the Phil Hartman of the X. Okay, everybody gets Kitty Pride. Yeah. <laughs> everybody gets Kitty everybody Pride. Everybody gets no because she is my favorite. She is she is like a hundred percent. And again, yeah. it's because I began reading it right before I went to middle school. And you know, when you're that age and you're just entering adolescence, you almost instinctively look at characters who are just a few years older than you are because they're more relatable and they're kind of who you want to be. And so, Kitty, I always viewed as a contemporary, and could empathize acutely with with almost any any storyline that she had and i loved her and so so she's my number one with a bullet that said um i have a real soft spot for both karma and mirage who were introduced in the new mutants and i like them precisely because they were both of them were sort of forced sort of forced into the team as as older teenagers as opposed to you know being they're a little bit older than kitty they're, but they're newer to the mutant game, so it makes it interesting because they were, you know, in, instead of having the experience Kitty had, they had they had a different set of experiences that made them feel older, yet less experienced in a lot of other ways. They both lost their parents and had to grow up too fast, and they brought some gravitas to a goofball team. <laughs> and, and they have some of the most interesting stories. Um, Karma gets kidnapped very early on in the series run yeah. by, um, by, oh, I, it, like, Long story short, he's this telepathic telepathic despot who takes her body, binge eats in it constantly until she's like 400 pounds. When she's finally rescued, she's stranded in a desert on a different dimension and wanders around until all the weight falls off and she's in a bikini, <laughs> which seems really which seems really dumb, except the whole time, you know, she's really struggling since she's out of shape and she's being held hostage in a body that is hideous and alien to her because it was out of her control. And again, it's a great metaphor for adolescence. Yeah. Um, And then uh, Mirage, Danielle Moonstar has, of course, the iconic uh, demon bear saga story in the new mutants, which is when, what, and like the big theme is, Oh, you have to confront the things you fear because once you take them apart, you figure out who you are and it's rewarding. And the, more shallow superficial thing is um magic turned her parents into a bear both of them into one bear (laughs) 
<laughs> and she has to fix it. But um, what I've liked about them is as they've, you know, progressed over the next, oh God, 30 years, when you think about it, they're now, they're, they, they've come back and become administrators at the school and they've become instructors and they've become mentors and they've built solid teams and had all sorts of experiences. And um, they haven't gone full bore cuckoo like some other X-Men have. <laughs> because you have to admit that like every once in a while an X-Men will go off the reservation spectacularly, like just complete utter lunacy. And, and that hasn't happened with them yet. And I like that you've got these people who are pretty even keeled about things. They've been punched. They, they've been punched by life a few times, but they just kind of go <sighs> and, you know, lean on their friends for a bit and then get out and get the job done. Like I, I found that really admirable as a, as, as a very young woman. And I like it now too. Let's see. Uh, what are we? Uh, what are we missing out there? I, I, I mean, Kitty Pride was going to be what I talked about, or then I was going to mention Nightcrawler. I, I, I actually was going to throw out uh, Warlock because because uh, yeah. he was pretty oh, cool. I love him. He's um, adorable. Uh, so, so I don't know. I don't know. Who, uh, I don't know who's left to to, to choose. I, I'm gonna. I, I guess I'll throw out Ilyana Rasputin ma- Magic because Please. I think mm-hmm. that she started out as a. a it's a, just a fascinating story turn with her, where she's this little girl. She's Peter Rasputin's little little sister, and in the course of what what one panel, she goes from she gets kidnapped and sent to limbo. Right, and she and she comes back <laughs> as a teenager, and and from time all this time has passed. Uh, in a blink of an eye, and then we, mm-hmm. uh, they, they, they spend their time throwing out the story of what happened to her to make her into uh, a, a teenager um, over that time. And it turns out, it you know, as you might expect from being in a hell dimension, it was kind of awful. But she also has like a really cool sword and teleportation powers, so she ends up being mm-hmm. a, a a key a key player in uh, in the X Men uh, going forward. And I was just reading a bunch of X Men issues. Uh, uh, recently in the in the Scott Summers has a big X over his face and is a uh, is sort of filling the Magneto <laughs> role and uh, she's uh, she's pretty great in that too and she still has kept her friendship with Kitty which I really like too that mm-hmm. they're both adults mm-hmm. now and the relationship yeah. although it has changed is still uh, kind of delightful in in that it's it's solid no matter you know what water is under the bridge between Kitty and her and uh, Ileana's uh, brother poor Kitty pride in her habit of dating men named Peter yeah. Mm-hmm. We all just sigh. People in comic books do not learn. I do love the idea that they can take uh, Kitty Pride and, and try her out in some other storylines, like putting her in the Guardians of the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. I think that's really great and fun to, to do yeah. that. I just found out about that development recently, and it I was like in the middle of a Barnes & Noble, just you know going through the various um, trades, and I saw like Kitty Pride and you know Peter whatever I forget his Peter last name Quill. of Peter Quill in uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and and the two of them like kissing in space and I nearly I I like nearly squealed out loud cuz it was <laughs> It was, again, that feeling of, like, a friend of yours from long ago that you've just discovered, like, <laughs> Oh, Kitty's in space awesome. now. Oh. Kitty's yeah. in space, and she's with Peter Quill, and oh my god, that's so awesome. Like, I wanted to send her a congrats card. Like, it was just, it was just the most awesome development out of nowhere, as far as I was concerned. That's how I felt when I found out she was a professor at the school the first time. I was oh, like, yeah. oh, good for good her. Good for her. She yes, good. exactly. We knew she had it in her. <laughs> It's when Jean-Claude Karma becomes a, li- a librarian at the University of Chicago. I'm like, not bad. University of yeah. Chicago is a great school. And I'm like, wait, no, the writers can actually. 
actually do what they wanted with it. I'll also put in a word in this not a draft. I'll put in a word for Jean Grey. Mm-hmm. Um, although I would mm-hmm. actually say that I think Jean Grey has gotten way more interesting <laughs> retroactively than she was mm-hmm. in the original X-Men. And certainly even during the, the Dark Phoenix saga, it was very much like, oh, mm-hmm. I, you know, oh, no, I've, I'm out of control. And then she turns evil. Curse me that a lot of the 19, late 1970s, 1980s plots revolving around female X-Men and female New Mutants could all be seen as like, body horror slash rape metaphors yeah. because it's always some poor woman getting something done to her body that she had that that she can't consent to she's powerless to stop and she has to live with the repercussions of so uh one of the clever things that has happened in the x-men recently is uh, brian michael bendis did a run of the all-new x-men which the premise of which is totally nuts which is the original x-men are brought forward in time to see what's happened in the marvel universe since they and 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 um one of the things that i think is really great about it is as written by Bendis, uh, Jean Grey, uh, who who is immediately uh, brought to a school that's named after her because she's dead, you know, um, is she becomes a really interesting character. She doesn't have most of her powers yet. They're yet to come. And she's dealing with the, all of the expectations that surround her because everybody well, else finding knows. Out, finding out what she does. And and, yeah. and uh, it's really kind of great. And that that has made me retroactively like Jean Grey a whole, Grey a whole lot more. And I also like the fact that they, that they didn't like send them back in time after six issues instead they basically said well no you're here to stay this is you know you've you know we've split off from your timeline and you're just gonna your younger selves are gonna be here with your older selves and you're just gonna have to deal with it and i kind of love that too so that was a really nice uh weird take on the x-men that i i feel like rehab jane jean gray as a character a lot Weirdly enough, the Ultimate X-Men actually rehab Jean Grey as a character for me. Now, well, it's really cool that they could put um, uh, Jean and Storm and Kitty and Cyclops and Mm -hmm. Iceman. They're all on the same. They're all the same age in Ultimate X-Men. So Kitty is one is on the team with a bunch of other X-Men, but they're all the same age, which is a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. And Kitty dates Spider-Man for a while. It's fun. Yeah, it's it's. You know, the the I think the quality of Ultimate X-Men goes up and down depending on who's writing it. but there's yeah. there's a lot now that's well there's a lot now that's really charming. Like there's one issue where there's just a panel where you walk by and you see that uh, Scott Summers is on the phone with Toad, who he's become good friends with, despite the fact <laughs> they go to different schools, and just the fact that he's on the phone talking with Toad and just jibber jabbering away is it's it's the most I've ever liked Scott Summers. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of Jean Grey and Scott Summers, mm-hmm. I cannot remember what Marvel writer this was, but every time I hear the name Jean Grey, I think of a Marvel writer at a San Diego Comic-Con panel in probably 87 or 88 doing an imitation of Scott Summers that went like this. Oh, Jean Grey's <laughs> dead again. Ow, Wolverine, my eye. <laughs> yep. Uh-uh. <laughs> Ideally, you would see the gesture where, with the owl, you put your fist up to your eye and pull it out while you're complaining to Wolverine. Sure. <laughs> I'm a leader. I lead this. <laughs> One of the things that happens with a lot of these things, because it became so popular, is finally Marvel got the idea, we need to do more of these. They did a Wolverine miniseries, they started the New Mutants, and then just as I was sort of getting out of comics for for 15 years, uh, there was an explosion of, of new, you know, you had your X-Factors and your Excaliburs and all of that. And I don't know if anybody has particular favorites in the spinoffs. I will, I will mention one of mine. Um, I mean, I already mentioned the relatively recently the all-new X-Men, which is ironically the old X-Men, but now they're... Been, anyway, um, I want to mention X. 
Exiles because I read all of Exiles <sighs> and like and I love it. And the premise of Exiles is it's X Men from all, across multiple realities who form a parallel universe, sort of like X Men team that has to go from parallel universe to parallel universe, correcting. I guess, writing wrongs in parallel universes or something like that. The premise is fine-tuned over time, but huge amount of fun. Uh, and and they were able to cycle through a lot of different alternate versions of characters um, as, as they went and kill people off because it was parallel universes. There were always more where that, where that came from, essentially. Mm. And it was a pretty great, oh, pretty yeah. great comic. The first, I mean, I think they did a hundred issues of the first volume and I, I love that one a lot. And it was, you know, technically an X-Men comic but because it has an x in it and the x was bigger Mm -hmm. even though it was called exiles (laughs) the x was large to let you know that it was x-men uh you can't spell exiles without the x it would just be aisles anyway i liked i liked exiles a lot so i'm gonna throw that out there any other spinoffs that uh, come to mind I love X Factor Investigations as written by Peter David, especially like the first 50 issues or so. So that's X-Men Detective Agency. Well, the premise is, is, is um, Madri- Jamie Madrix, multiple man, um, decides that he's not really cut out for, for fighting and being an X-Men. Um, he's, he's seen too much. He's too disgusted by it all. He's, he's, he's got a little bit of a Philip Marlowe streak in him. Um, uh, uh, or a little bit of a Raymond Chandler. He's a little bit Raymond Chandler-esque. And at the start of X-Factor Investigations, you find out that what he's done is he's he created a bunch of dupes, sent them out to do different things and learn as much about the world as possible because he wanted to g- gain a greater understanding of the world around him. And yes, he does solve crimes for mutants um, or mutant-related things. He, he solves cases for mutants or mutant-related cases. And his detective agency um, attracts a couple other people who also want nothing to do with, with being a professional X-Men anymore. So he gets Rain Sinclair, who is Wolfsbane, one of the new mutants, who's been having a hard time with the whole thing and had to leave Xavier's Academy in disgrace. And he gets um, your standard, quote-unquote, generic, dumb, fat guy named Guido, who is actually quite funny and um, quite good at being, you know, and he gets uh, Monet Sinclair, who uh, was, again, had a really weird tortured backstory towards the end of The New Mutants and into some of the other X-Men spinoffs, where it involves, like, secret autistic twins and a sadistic brother in another dimension, and it just gets weird and incoherent. And just, anyway, she's she's one of Marvel's classic, you know, drops droll bitchy one-liners and is conveniently very, very psychic. Then it also has Daughter of Banshee, Siren, and... Over the so it's it's kind of a volatile ensemble because you've got some people who are seen as legacy characters, some people who have always been made to feel as Johnny Come Lately's, some people who have felt forcibly exiled from the clickishness of the X Men, and they deal with mutant culture and general culture at large, and they also have to hunt down some of Maddox, Matt, Jamie's more recalcitrant duplicates who don't want to be reabsorbed and reassimilated. Wow. From early on, but really all the way through, there's elements of the X-Men arcs that are very much like a soap opera. And, mm-hmm. you know, especially a lot of this, you know, a lot of the stuff in the late 70s, very much, especially with Scott, Gene, Scott, Gene, <laughs> like that. It gets very so, but, you know, I happen to love that. I'm staying out of this because I don't want to cause any trouble. But uh, what I will say that I love is that in every one of these, some of my favorite things are the reboots. You know, well, maybe we'll, well, I don't know if we'll have time to get to things like New X-Men and Astonishing X-Men. But what I love about all of those is that sense of family for better or for worse. And there, yeah, there are bits. There are what could in some context be a cliche, but like when you haven't seen the fastball special in a while and you see the <laughs> fastball special, you, you pump your fist because that's been around forever. Or you see, you know, in, in the same way that like, you know, 
what like Johnny and Ben are always going after each other in the Fantastic Four. There's little there's little back and forth, and you get the feeling that there's it's almost a little bit like The Sopranos, where one reason a good show with a big cast gets good, uh, with Game of Thrones, Sopranos, whatever, anything on HBO, I guess. Is that um, you stop thinking about how the world re- revolves around the main guy and the main girl. Mm-hmm. And you get very interested in going like, ooh, like what's going to happen this week between the two Soprano kids in that relationship? You know what I mean? And in, in this case, like what there's there's always there's warmth, there's tension, and there's an innumerable number of longtime storylines that can have a lot of. Uh, it can be very moving and kind of heart tugging over time. So, and I don't know, again, I don't know if we'll time to talk about Astonishing X-Men, but that's one where there's just payoff after payoff of like stuff that's been going on for years where you can just hint at these things that happened, you know, almost 20 years ago that can still be very resonant for people yeah. and in the hands of somebody like Joss Whedon, Kitty and Peter. bring out a lot yep. of what you people call the feels <laughs> when you see her. Like, <laughs> when they brought Joss Whedon in to write Astonishing X-Men in 2004, right? I mean, his X-Men that he loved and knew was very much the X-Men from the 80s. And so it's very rare that you end up with this like, hey, everybody, here's a sequel to the X-Men that you liked from yeah. from 20 mm-hmm. years ago at that point. But from somebody who really gets it. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Exactly. Like all wasn't, of it. Wasn't his, it wasn't his deal breaker. He, he said, I have to have Kitty Pride. You have to give me Kitty Pride. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. believe that was one of the yeah. things and was not surprising at all. Because he's, he's yeah. um, cited her so often as an influence for Buffy the Vampire oh, Slayer. Wow, sure. Sure. Yeah. I, I sort of like the idea that the theme of this podcast has been that Kitty Pride is pretty much the engine of the X Men. <laughs> yes, well, yeah. I mean, people, somebody else, a different podcast would say that it was it was uh, Wolverine, but that's not this podcast. No, nope. it's it's sort of a shame she never broke out, but maybe that's good. Maybe that's and then we have her, and she's she's our girl. I mean, yeah. she's everywhere though, right? I'm I'm a little surprised yeah. that that she hasn't been prominently featured in an X Men movie yet. That she's always kind of on the side. Well, they kind of messed that up by taking her personality and putting it on Rogue, I, which yeah. was yeah. the first. Movie, but how do you back out of that? Exactly. Yeah. Somebody in the chat room is asking, and I think this was a, this was what I wanted to sort of end on um, mm-hmm. is if you could recommend something for people to read that uh, to you know because one of the challenges I found in going back to a lot of the classic so called classic X Men from the eighties is the way it's written. It's so impenetrable because it is written like a soap opera where y- there's never a a very clear end to any story. Everything is always sort of multi-threaded and it's very hard to pull any of it apart to get to the beginning of the story. And each issue is just like, it's like an episode of Game of Thrones, basically, where there's like five different things going on all at different points. And it's very hard to tell what, what, where, where you are. So it's uh, more than a lot of the other comics of that era. I thought, you know, Chris Claremont definitely had a flow chart somewhere about what he was doing. So uh, what I want to ask is, if, do anybody have any any things that you would recommend as things that people could read if this if this episode makes them want to get, try out or get back into the X-Men? We mentioned Joss Whedon's run on Astonishing X-Men, which I think is pretty accessible. I mentioned Exiles, and, and I mentioned Bendis' all-new X-Men, which I think is kind mm-hmm. of fun. What else? Mm-hmm. Are, there, are, are there other things out there that we, we might uh, suggest to people? I'm going to lobby hard for a New Mutants classic. Yeah, um, I was, that's where I was going to go too. Starting with New Mutants number twenty-six specifically, mm-hmm. yeah. which is where Bill Sienkiewicz is making the art crazy, crazy. and amazing. Oh, it's bonkers and it's great. Yeah, at that um, point though, you could just start at number one. You're going to get, you're going to meet the entire team. And- no, and the great, the reason I would recommend actually starting at the beginning and going all the way through is because um, this book 
works as a great entry into the X universe because it has you introduced to different X-Men and the whole premise of this, of the whole premise and everybody in the whole universe and everybody through the eyes of people who've gotten thrown into it, just like the reader is. But you're right, Monty, it gets, it gets super, it gets super, Bananas. it goes from being really conventional to being extremely weird. Right. And 26 is for me where the height of the weirdness starts because that's where the <laughs> multi-issue storyline of Legion happens. Right. Oh God. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Professor X's son has every mutant power, but he, he also has every personality, so every mutant power is had by every per, a different personality, and people have to go into his mind, and it is crazy and amazing. Soon to be and, an FX television series. Oh, I <laughs> can't by, wait. By the way, uh, in Deadpool, you briefly see that Negasonic Teenage Warhead is wearing a New Mutants uniform instead of an X-Men yeah. uniform, and I think huh. that's awesome. <laughs> yes. She's teenage. I think I would suggest... Um, uh, days the the original Days of Future Past. Yeah. Um, oh, that's maybe. a good one. And I know that it's it's one of those things where since it's an alternate reality and it's in you know like a a future that that may or may not happen and you see everyone sort of sped up and half the uh, in in you know the their older selves and you know Kitty Pride is now like a grown woman. It's one of those things where you end up sort of reverse engineering reality from what's presented as a very dramatic alternate reality or a possible future but it set up so much of the tone i feel like of of what it came after at least in the 90s that i saw of of you know the, with the sentinels and the um just this feeling of being hunted uh that you know just sort of accelerated all of that and i felt i remember feeling that it was more mature than a lot of the stuff that um, I had read until then. Um, and that it just was a very, it ended up, you know, so much, so much uh, has sort of flown off it over the years uh, that it, it, it feels like a seminal event. Uh, so that's, that's issues 141 and 142 of uh, smack dab in the middle of the John Byrne, Chris Claremont era. Well, yeah. If you want to be specific. Yes, about 1981. Yes. I looked it up. <laughs> I looked up that was super influential that that whole yeah the burn the burn I think most people Just would the say the cover was super influential the John yeah. Burn uh Chris Claremont run in Uncanny X-Men is is probably considered by comics nerds to be the definitive set of issues uh, and that yes. includes the Dark Phoenix story and Days of Future Past mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. but it's also a comic from the 19 from 1981 so you have to kind of get in your in the mindset of <laughs> of, yeah. of that I was flipping through the giant hardback that Merlin mentioned earlier, because I also have it. Wolverine sure calls Storm abroad a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> He's uncouth. He's very uncouth. Is he Archie Bunker? In my beloved Uncanny X-Men annual number five, Storm actually snaps back at him that he, you know, that, that he wouldn't know tact if it uh, came up and beat him over the head. It's it's a lovely moment. It's a special time in any girl's life when they when they transition from being a pumpkin to being abroad. In oh, yeah. it's so sweet. It's such a special moment. <laughs> Quinceanera. Some, right? some, uh, yeah, yeah. Some, I was going to say some cultures have a big, uh, like a party to mark that that day where they smash the pumpkins. Let you know. Yeah. <laughs> That's how smashing pumpkins got. Smashed. Sure. Oh. Is that right? Turns out. <laughs> Turns out. I, 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 um, you know, I, I, there's this part of me that, um, you know, wants to point people back to giant size X Men just because I, I have a lot of affinity for that. But I got, I got two that are super obvious because I do not have the deep 
catalog that y'all have. I I gotta say, Astonishing X Men, Gifted, the Joss Whedon and is it John Cassidy? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that to me is like the Prisoner of Azkaban of X Men. That's mm. the one where you know, no, if if you've never like had a lick of this stuff, if you've if you're totally new to this. It's surprisingly gettable fairly quickly. If you're super confused, there are resources for figuring it out. But like, there's great storytelling in that where you don't need to know that that much. When 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 Wolverine shows up, you get that he and Scott have a past having to do with Gene. You do not need Wikipedia to figure that out. You will figure that out. <laughs> but Astonishing mm-hmm. X Men has. But so again, like Prisoner of Azkaban, which I consider the best of the books and movies of Harry Potter. Um, it's one where like if you if you are into it, it's it's extremely satisfying, and it's it's kind of right in the pocket. It's not it's not too it's not too simple. It's not too complicated. But astonishing X Men, if you stick with it through all the volumes, you'll get to some very, you'll really get attached. Even if you haven't been with X Men for long, you're going to get super attached to these characters, and their 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 wonderful skills are on full display. You know. And but then the other one is like if coming from the other angle, if you're somebody who's like, oh, yeah, like I've read a couple image titles and I don't like superheroes. I'm just going to say try New X-Men. You'll actually, I think you'll appreciate Astonishing X-Men a lot more if you have read New X-Men. New X-Men is really, really weird. And I think, you know, Grant Morrison has his detractors for apparently very good reasons. The Riot and Savior's storyline. Oh, it's so good. The stuff with, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but some some really, you know, pretty hallucinogenic. There's one issue, the very famous issue that's currently on my iPad um, lock screen. When that is done, I think it has maybe one um, dialogue balloon in the entire thing. It's done completely with the most hallucinogenic mainstream comic art you're likely to see, but very well executed, crazy amounts of like super interesting storytelling, and also very important that if it, if it matters to you, I think this might be where I feel like this is where Emma like first starts really helping out. She realizes there's some stuff where she has unique skills that could really help people. This is when I think this is one point when she really becomes part of the team. Um, and it's also guys was hugely, I guess alongside ultimates, but very influential on the movie. So if you like the, the, the uh, leather boy uniforms in those movies, you'll like these, but I thought it was great. I thought, I thought it was a nice development of all the characters over time. So new X-Men by Grant Morrison and mostly Frank quietly. And then, but the primary one I can say without reservation is um, start with Astonishing X Men, gifted with uh, Joss Whedon and John Cassidy. Yeah, I I totally agree on New X Men too. I loved. I also love the introduction of new characters in New X Men. I love the stuff for Cuckoos. Oh yeah, the, yeah. That's, oh god, that's great. Yes. It's the hive mind, hive mind. Uh, it's Emma Frost. The hive mind, hive mind babies. Clones. Yeah, yeah. Because we find out later that they were they were cloned without her consent or yeah. permission or knowledge and. Uh, that there's there's originally there, there's five of them and they're they're mean girls and they're delightful <laughs> these are series that i did not even know existed and now i'm just just feeling my money just run out of my wallet do you, do you know are all of these available over um uh what is, is it marvel and yes I, w- they, I was gonna mention the- if you really want to dive into the x-men the best way to do it is to get marvel Buy unlimited, marvel unlimited. <laughs> such a bargain such a bargain yeah it is. So if you're if you are thinking of doing a deep dive, 
uh, Marvel Unlimited, you can you it's ten dollars a month. So if you want to just try it for a month for ten dollars, uh, you get access to uh, as many issues as you can read uh, in the month for ten dollars. And if uh, if you're at all intrigued by it, I believe it's sixty nine dollars a year. But I will tell you, reading sixty nine dollars worth of new comics will take you like half an hour so if you use uh if you use it at all the yearly i use the yearly plan for that and it's a great deal because if i read for like 15 comics i've basically paid for a year and then i've got the rest of the year to read even more comics but uh certainly it's a great deal at ten dollars uh if you want to dive back into the x-men archive because most of this stuff is there I do recommend having a tablet because yeah. it feels right. It's the right size. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I love reading it on my iPad. One, one, one thing I feel like I want to stipulate for myself, you know, if you want to get all John Syracuse about this, yes, you absolutely <laughs> can go back and read from 1963. I'm going to say <laughs> Don't. there's a good, let's call it 12 years of X-Men. You, you could read it. There's lots of great stuff. You get to learn about, you know, uh, you get to learn about Magneto. You get to learn about... You know, all kinds of stuff, but you don't feel like you have to read. Please yeah. don't feel like you have to read all I didn't of mention even, like, even if you want to start at the beginning, the, the X-Men has such a tortured history. It was, the Wikipedia article says, and I don't know if this is actually true, but knowing uh, what I know about the early days of Marvel Comics, I believe it, that the X-Men was invented because Stan Lee was tired of inventing new origins for characters. And he could say, oh. yeah, they were born with it. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Excelsior. But regardless, they... <laughs> It was it was the weakest of all of the. You think of the core. The reason people in the eighties had never heard of the X Men was because the X Men was the flop of all of those Stanley Jack Kirby comics made in the sixties. And, th- and then it went into reruns. Yeah, it had actual reruns in their issues, and, and they were bi monthly, <laughs> and they were doing reprints to keep it in print. But it was basically they wouldn't even invest any time in, or and money in making new stories. And then, if you must be a completist, I would say then what what happened was they did giant size x-men number one and then that led to the revival of uncanny x-men that's when the new x-men were introduced um and and those are the ones that we know though that's your wolverine nightcrawler storm era it's it's uh it's uh it's there so that is in, in many ways uh where it started off and reading those old issues on marvel unlimited is hilarious because you 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 see that for quite a while they were still bi-monthly so it was a low priority comic but at least it existed and then uh there's the period where it rapidly accelerates into becoming a phenomenon and you can you can see it happen where they're like we're gonna be monthly now and and uh, it became a priority for Marvel and as it as it became more popular but it was not it was a slow burn with the X-Men it took a good 15 years for it to really catch on all right well we should probably wrap it up but this has been a great uh, delving into uh, into into mutant kind and I'm sure we'll do what we did with all those other old episodes of The Incomparable, which is come back and revisit this in other ways in the future because it's a, such a huge subject to tackle in uh, in one go. But it was nice to have a little little uh, little uh, primer, a little start starting point for mutants. I would like to thank my guests, Merlin Mann. It's always a pleasure to have you on. Thanks for being here. Snacked. <laughs> Are we all going to do sound effects? Because that could happen. Monty Ashley, <laughs> thank you for being here. I, I was going to go with Liebchen myself. Ah, Nisvar. Tovarish. No, sorry, that's the wrong, wrong language. Helene Wecker, thank you so much for being here. Bam. Uh, <laughs> this is a sound effects draft now. And Lisa Schmeiser. Like in here. Lisa Schmeiser, thank you so much. You're welcome. I have no sound effects. <laughs> you have no sound effect. <laughs> silent phasing. Silent phasing through a door. 
Exactly. And uh, I have been your host, Jason Snell. Thanks to everybody out there uh, for listening to this episode of The Incomparable. We will see you next week. Hope you survive the experience. For a while now, people have been asking how they can support The Incomparable directly, and I've had no good answers for them, but uh, I've spent the last few months trying to set up a membership plan that I think people will like. So go to theincomparable.com slash members. You can sign up for our new membership and support system. There are different levels, $5, $10, and $20 a month, as well as their annual equivalents. As a member, you'll get some free stuff, including uh, feeds for the bootleg edition of The Incomparable. Basically, when we record an episode live, I will put the live recording in a feed. So if you can't listen live or want to hear one of these episodes that we're talking about on Twitter, but I banked it away to release in a month, you can listen to it right after it was recorded if you don't want to wait. It'll be the unedited version. It won't sound quite as good, but sometimes people just can't wait. We're also going to put bonus material in another feed that's called the first class feed that's just for members. And there are some other things too, including a total party kill feed. And we'll uh, come up with some other ideas as we go as well. You can also support other shows, not just this show, other shows on the Incomparable Network. The way the system works, you basically, once you sign up for supporting the Incomparable, you can choose which podcast you specifically want to support. So if you only want to support this show, you just check that box and you're done. But if you also listen and love a few other shows on our network, you can check their boxes too, and your money will be split across all of the different podcasts. So it's up to you. The choice is yours. And if you don't want to support The Incomparable this way, that's fine. We're still going to be posting episodes for free like we've been doing for the last almost six years now. So thanks for listening. And if you do want to support us, check out theincomparable.com slash members.